Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Hoosier Band podcast. We have two great guests today uh, from The Sopranos, from Ray Donovan, American Gangsta, The Irishman. We have Robert Fanaro and comic, author, club owner, Al Martin. Hello, guys. Hey, what's going Hello. on, folks? All Hello. right. Hey, so let's, um, we'll go back and forth with both of you guys, and we'll start with Robert first. A um, lot of questions here, man. Love, love your work. Um, but here's the first question right off the top of my head. You played Eugene Pornikovo in The Sopranos. How yes. did you get the role? Did you have to audition for Georgina uh, Walken and Sheila Jaffe, you know, two great uh, casting agents? Sheila, Sheila wasn't auditioning at that time on the, on the top of the third season. She had gone to California to work some other things. So it was Georgianne that I auditioned for. So that's a bit of a story. Um, I did a play seven years prior, maybe eight years prior to Sopranos uh, with James Gandolfini, Streetcar Named Desire. You might know that one. Uh, I've heard of it. I've heard yeah. of it. Who did you play in Streetcar? I played Stanley. I could see that. And he played Mitch. He has that Carl Malden appearance, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not Tony Soprano, but of course, you know, James always, you know, have a, has a big heart like uh, like that character, Mitch. In, in, in the, and we toured uh, Scandinavia for three months and we became friends and, and we went our separate ways afterward. And uh, I think we met maybe once and Jim was kind of getting some uh, traction. Um, I kind of was, you know, I got married, had a child and everything. and to make this a long story even shorter, a friend of mine who was involved with comedy, Gordon Silver, who was working for stand-up and he went to Gotham. Al might know him. Yeah. Um, uh, I, um, he was at a party and he went up to uh, Jimmy Gandolfini. He said, hey, I know a friend of yours and you did a play with him. I said, oh yeah? And James said, oh yeah, who was that? He said, Bobby oh, wow. Finaro. And if I was you, I'd give him a part on Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, you know, where's Bob? Oh, yes. What's he doing? He's working at Caroline's on Broadway. He's a manager there. Um, and, uh, you know, there happened to be a role that was, you know, that they were looking for. And James came down to Caroline's on Broadway. And he took his driver, Joe Faye. They went to a couple of clubs. They might have stopped by the New York County Club. I'm not sure about that. But they went to a couple of clubs. And then they finally found the right one because he didn't remember the, the comedy club. Joe was his driver in the local one, the union. And uh, I walked down to work, and you know, you had to submerge into Caroline's, you know, downstairs. And I see this guy at the bar, big guy at the bar. I said, geez, that looks like Jimmy. And it was him. And how you doing, James? And I said, hey, how you doing? How you doing, Bobby? And what's going on? You, you been acting? And I said, yeah, yeah, I've been acting on and off. A lie, hello. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, he asked me, about, he talked to me about the role that they were looking for. And he said, I can't promise you anything, but I'd like to get you a, an audition with George Ann. And uh, and then he asked if you acting, and I said, "Yeah," which you always got to lie. He was gonna say, "Yeah," I'm, <laughs> which wasn't true. I really was working as a manager, and I had a kid, and, and I had on and off auditions, but nothing really serious. I really wasn't pursuing it. It's hard to find an agent back. You know, it's always hard to find an agent. So anyway, I auditioned and I got a part, and uh, the rest is uh, history. You know, you, you were you were great in that part. Question: Why were you a manager at Caroline's? Were you ever a comic? Ever wanted to be a comic? I, I, uh, 
I was working at Madison Square Garden and I lost the job because my brother-in-law got me into the, and back then they had this whole thing with the family and you weren't supposed to have family, but I, I was an event manager there and one of the security guys who wasn't doing his job with another union thing. Uh, who'd, you work, who'd you work under at uh, Madison Square Garden? Uh, it's uh, uh, John Fay and my, my brother-in-law, uh, Carmine Manor, was the, he was, a, he was a, you know, one of the big people for the event managers. And, uh, and we took care of security, ticket takers, and everything like that. And I lost a job. So Gordon was a good friend. We'd known each other for about five, six years. He said, hey, you know what? They're looking for a doorman slash bouncer <laughs> at Caroline's. You want to come down? You want to, you know, check it out? And uh, they need somebody. So I said, okay, let me check it out. And, um, of course, you know, working the door, I, I got to be able to make some money. <laughs> Who would tell you so I was like, this job ain't bad. On a Friday, Saturday night, I'm making two fifty in my pocket plus the salary. So I, I plus I always loved comics, but I never really did comedy. But that's how I that's how and then of course I became a manager later on. Who was some of your favorite comics? Oh, Kevin Meany. I, I was there for I was there for uh uh Kevin James before it happened, Ray Romano before it happened for him. All these guys, they couldn't even get a spot there. Uh, they got some spots, but they, some of them didn't headline. Ray wasn't really a headliner when I was there, and I was there for quite some time. So, I mean, Meany, Romano, of course, David Tell, you know, that, that always, you know his stuff was great. Uh, Paul Mooney, I saw all the great ones. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bob, Bobcat. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I was there when he climbed the curtain and he fell on the table of lawyers. <laughs> and he got sued. I was right at the door. He just Robert, the curtain. Robert, were you were you there? Were you there during uh, the um, South Street Seaport days, or you were there strictly? In, no, uh, I was just strictly Earth. on uh, Broadway. Al, just Broadway. Now, hey, Jeff, here's a, here's a little tidbit that you may not know about I me, mean, considering that we go back a very very long way as well. Uh, did you know that I actually went to an open casting call for The Sopranos? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was a million years ago when they did one in Harrison. And uh, it was the one where uh, Johnny Sack's wife, uh, Jenny. Oh, okay, yeah. I think, I think she was the only prominent person to get cast out of that in a reoccurring role. I think a yeah. lot of other people wound up getting extra roles, like uh, at funerals and weddings and stuff like that. I can, only convince yeah, yeah. Them, I can only convince them that I was half Italian, but when they started looking at my <laughs> dumb Irish face, <laughs> there was no chance that uh, I was getting that role. I'll tell you that right now. Now, Robert, did you know Al when he was a comic? Before Al was a club owner, he was a comedian. He was on TV as a comedian. Well, you know what? I don't know. Did Al, Al did you do Caroline's Comedy Hour? I'm not sure. I was around then. I, I did Evening at the Improv. Okay. But, yeah, I didn't get on Caroline's Comedy Hour. But Richard Jennings. Jeff, yeah. Paul, um, Jeff, uh, Robert tells a great story about a time when he was no longer at Caroline's and he interviewed with me for a job. You remember that, Robert? And I think yeah. you mentioned money. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I might have. Yeah, I remember, yeah. <laughs> he goes, what will the job pay? And it went very silent after that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You were looking for a manager. <laughs> I was looking for a manager. And a right. mutual friend, Chris Murphy, turned me on to Robert. Right. And we talked on the phone. And then he goes, 
well, what does it pay? And I froze like a deer in headlights. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Robin, I don't know if you know this, but Al has a book out now. He's, he's on, he has a book. It's called, I Built a Comedy Empire in 30 Short Years. Al, why did, out of, you know, cause Al's been in the business forever. Why now? Why 2020 inspired you to write this book? Well, it's called I Did It on a Dare, which is true. Uh, I built a comedy empire in 30 short years. And basically, it's stories that I've been compiling through the, the 30 years. But now, you know, like we do everything, we blame it on COVID. I had a lot of time on my hands. Both the clubs are closed. And um, I said, you know what? If there's ever going to be a great time to write the book, I'll write it now and even include a little bit about COVID in it, you know, and what we're going through. You know, and there was a debate. Do we wait till the end of COVID and see how the, the whole comedy scene shakes out? Or do I get it out now? And I decided to get it out now. People have time to read it, you know. And um, Sure. Because it must be a lot of great stories, Al. I mean, it must be great. I can't wait to read it. Check it out. Oh, a lot of great is, stories. Is, is it on Amazon? Or can I get it's it on? on Amazon, Kindle, audio books, It's a good read. Uh, it's, a, it's a book you can read in one day. Really, it's only what? It's, I, I think it's less than 100 pages. Yep, slightly less than a hundred. Yeah, like um, most comedians, I'm kind of lazy, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what comics got their start uh, performing in your club? What? Who performed at my club? What, what? What comics got their start in your club? Well, I would say Jim Gaffigan. You know, first of all, let me just say, and, and I'll probably agree with this. Uh, they many of them started in my club, but on their resume, they started at Caroline's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's true right? uh but basically uh definitely jim gaffigan i know lisa lampanelli's first new york's appearance was at new york comedy club she wow. had basically started at uh, greenwich greg giraldo started there Love him. right uh, believe it or not artie lang in an improv troupe got his start at new york comedy club he talks about it in his book um, right. You know, says he was working on an improv troupe called the Improbables uh, at the uh, New York name. So a lot of them. Yeah. Um, hey, Rob, People don't uh, realize how, you know, that, the, you know, that was a time when I think that a lot of comedians were able to do those rounds and the time they put in. And, and uh, there was a lot of, lot of struggle there. You could see it even with, with Gaffigan and, and I mean, the old guys would make fun of the new guys and they would have to, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a definitely a, a great experience to see that the, the climb, even with Greg, cause Greg, uh, I remember when Greg got a TV series and he bought a motorcycle and didn't pan out, but he had a motorcycle and he had some money in his pocket. So, and then he went to uh, his own thing, did his own thing. I think we, they basically found their own niche, you know? Yeah. There's a, you there's know, a club like, that I love uh, playing at in Virginia that has, I mean, you can tell the headshots are really, really, really old. Because <laughs> they're yeah. all black and white. And it has Lisa Lampanelli's headshot before she actually changed her name. Her name is Lampionelli or something like that, but she short <laughs> changed it. 
And the thing that always threw me off about this club is they have a wall of death. They actually have one part of the wall oh, with all with all <laughs> dead comics. Oh and I'm like, God. they oh put my, my headshot literally in the corner right next to it. I'm like, I got to go on a diet apparently because I'm really too close to the wall of death here. This will always be on that but wall you know, if you die. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story about Lisa Lampanelli. They could probably start a wall of death on all her ex-boyfriends and husbands. Oh, yeah. Be yeah. Because... <laughs> She went out with a guy named Frank D'Amico, who was a very funny comedian uh, based out of Westchester. He used to own a, a club up there called Shooting Stars, and he passed away. She, she was married to, or I think lived with, Michael Sullivan Irwin. I don't know if any of you guys heard of him. Uh, no, Robert I remember Meyer. Michael, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and he's gone. And then she was married to a guy, I think his name was uh, Stock. His last name was Stock. Jim, maybe Jim Stock or something like that. And he passed away. So, like, three ex-husbands or long-term boyfriends of hers that I know of are gone and could be a, probably – they were all comics, so they could be on that wall of fame. Yeah, I'm not going to well, date that, her that actually, uh, Jimmy Canizero, who <laughs> she was married to, whatever, he, he made it because he's not a comic, so he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Robbie, and he had uh, COVID, too. He had COVID, too, so. Yeah. Rob, um – I was talking about improv. I got my start in improv over at the Magnus Theater. Have you ever done any improv? Uh, the only improv I've done is in rehearsal for a play, in, in plays, and, and maybe in scene, scene studies. Uh, that's the only really improv I've done. I mean, we tried. They tried to. Uh, it was the people that wanted to get together, like some of the some of the, the workers at Caroline's. They they put together a. Uh, uh, I don't. I wouldn't call it improv. Well, I guess maybe we were improving, you know, try to do something, you know, at the club, but it never really panned out, you know. So, but yeah, most stuff is like for theater and and, and of course television, you know. Right. Because to improv improvisation was was created by, uh, well, some of the group people would, you know, they they get stuck on lines and and it would be like you're reading lines. So take away the lines and let's get to the feeling beneath it, the lines. And then that would help, that would solve the problem. So, and then you would say the lines and then you would have all that underneath. So that was the basis. But of course, in comedy, it's a different, because Elaine May and, and uh, Mike, uh, I mean, Elaine May and she was great. I mean, some of the comedians that, uh, Mike Nichols and her, you know? I, I mean, did Al, did that, uh, it's a question, would Al ever, uh, in comp, you know, meet them or no, Al? Al, who, um... Elaine, Elaine May? May and Mike Nichols. And Mike Nichols. No, never met him. Okay. Never met him. Now, uh, Robert, we were both in the uh, Irishman. How did how did that come about for you? Did you have to read for Ellen Lewis? Well, yeah, I'll tell you what. I was doing The Sinner with Jessica Biel. And they were casting for Irishman. And Chris Mason, who was a lead character on The, on the Sinner, the first season, which was great. We did it in Carolina because I had that thing in North Carolina, that, that problem with that racial thing or whatever, it was more racial stuff. And uh, they brought all the work to South Carolina. So I was filming that, I had a recurring role on it. And I'm telling Chris, hey, you know, I tried to get into the Irishman. What month or was this? That was maybe four or five months. They were casting already. So he said, no, I didn't. I said, hey, you know what? It's not going to happen for me. And, but as the time progressed, such a big cast, 
uh, I thought I was not even, wasn't even going to get seen. And all of a sudden, um, my manager, my late manager, Eric Faber, God rest his soul. And he said, you know, like, Marty wants to see you. Ella wants to see you for a role. I said, me, I thought they cast it already. They started filming already in September and they, and they cast me, you know, they were auditioning me in September. They started filming already. So I, maybe they have a problem with a, a character. So I got in I was really, really surprised that yeah, I did get in. I, I went and in. I, and I, Ellen brought me in for, because of vinyl and everything, you know, so go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was because yeah, I, I went in and read in September and then I didn't officially get cast until the weekend after Thanksgiving in November. And I kept and I yeah. kept on top of my agency asking, are they passing? And, and they kept saying no. And I heard the problem was with Pesci, they wanted to film all his scenes up front and they were delaying scenes and putting scenes back that he wasn't going to be in. And so they kind of, uh, uh, you know, they was casting as they were going along. Right. Yeah, that was uh, interesting that the way they did it because I thought I had no chance of getting in. It was great to get that role. A lot of the people that I read that role said, oh, I auditioned with your role. And they say in every film, there's a particular role that everyone reads. And that was the one that I, I got. I, I was read, really happy with it. I read for, I read uh, Johnny's side. Yeah. I mean, everyone said, oh, I read Johnny's side. I think that was like the, I think that was Marty's way or Ellen's way of trying to see, try to uh, test people and measure them. But finally it came down to, okay, now we got to cast Johnny. So everyone else would be put in up different places and they finally cast cast it but you know so it was um it was great to work with robert de niro i mean it was it was great it was a great honor and great i mean i know there's a lot of bullshit i so many people here i live in staten island i won't see irishman because of de niro i ain't in fucking guts <laughs> it's like give me a fucking break man where did you see it for the first time i went to the uh, uh the dga Okay. Because um, I'm also I'm also a Staten Islander, and my family basically rented out the atrium. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> right on. You know, yeah. you mentioned you mentioned vinyl. I mean, did that get two seasons or one? One season. I I absolutely loved that show. I thought it was a great show, and I was actually legit pissed when I found out that wasn't picked up again. You and a lot of other people were pissed off, you know? Such a great, and, such a great vibe. I mean, it's such an old throwback too. I, I mean, because yeah. I'm a music nerd on top of it. So that was, uh, I was really, really bummed out. That and yeah, actually I mean, the, like, the comedy show too, uh, Al would probably still have too. Uh, uh, I'm Dying Up Here. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Another great one too that just got canceled great. out of the blue. Yeah, absolutely. I think vinyl was, you know, it was a uh, great show, and I think that uh, um, there were problems with HBO. I, you know, when I think Terry Winter, I mean, the guy has a great track record, Emmy Award winner. I mean, I don't know. When he decided to move on, I, I guess they were wanted to go in a different direction. I, I don't know. There's a lot of, there's multiple stories. I do know one thing, and I probably could talk about it now. I, I don't think Marty was very happy with the way HBO treated Terry and, and, and you can see that uh, Irishman didn't go to Hulu and <laughs> went to Netflix. <laughs> so Netflix also put up know. the money for it. Huh? Yeah. Netflix also put up the money for the Irishman. Yeah. But I mean, I, I heard on the grapevine that uh, Hulu really, uh, and I think that, uh, you know, you got to do the right thing when it comes to, uh, I think uh, us Italians, you know, <laughs> 
you know, you, you cancel the show, you hurt people. I mean, vinyl seemed like it can go on another two years. I mean, the whole story about Morris Levy. I mean, if you read Tommy James' uh, biography, autobiography, semi-autobiography, Tommy James and Shondells, I mean, that, that's a great biography. I mean, by the way, I mean, just to learn about the music business and what vinyl, that whole thing with vinyl was. I mean, back then, man, it was a lot of tossing and, and, and a lot of, um, you know, getting in the boxing ring and having it out, man. It was no copyright bullshit. Like, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's my song. What do you mean it's your song? You wrote it for him? Well, no, you're writing it for Tommy. <laughs> and now, that's I, it. Speaking of, speaking of music, I love who your band is, uh, Robert. We, when we've been doing this show, you're the first person to bring up this band. Uh, your band is the Ramones. Yes. Wow, what a great choice. I didn't see that coming. What got you into the Ramones? Uh, well, you know, I mean, I became a really, being on the show with uh, Stevie Van Zandt and the Underground Garage, and he had that syndicated show, I started listening to the show, and, and, I, and I started listening to the Ramones, and I said, wow, this is great stuff, it's really a bit off the beaten path, and I remember going to CBGB's to, for the fundraiser, and uh, I was just like, I was dead stone, like, you know, a groupie, you know. I love to, to see that. I mean, it just, I like that kind of music. It's, it's simple. Uh, it's not mainstream. Um, it probably won't happen again because of all the killing of the creative class. You know, the whole culture is being ripped out of, rip, root, uh, rooted, uh, weeded out because of, there's none of those record stores, bookstores anymore. You know, that whole, that whole scene down there it's it's basically gone but i like the idea of you know of of you know not being so mainstream like like a lot a lot of independent uh, directors I, I like like john cassavetes and um and and uh elaine may who, who did who did um uh what's that film with cassavetes and uh husband and uh, not husbands but anyway independent directors too you like them too because they have a little bit more personal stories i mean marty got a chance to do you know, a mainstream, but he started really in personal, personal films, you know? Hey, was, was that knocking on my door? Was there an album or a song that really made you gravitate towards the Ramones? Um. <laughs> because this is a band that doesn't, like, I don't know if a lot of people know, but this was a band that never had a top 10 uh, song. They were, yeah. they were mainstream. I used to see them in Brooklyn all the time before they really... Where did you see them, Al? Um... On Quinton Road, there used to be in Brooklyn, on Quinton Road, a corner little place. I can't re remember. It eventually, it was a rock club, and eventually it became a disco called Fantasy Island. But I can't remember what it was called when it was a rock club. And, and uh, the Ramones used to be there quite often. Well, I think that, Al, would you say, could you name a few comedians that like are kind of like the Ramones, but like, they're not mainstream. Would David Tell be in one of those? Uh, yeah. Consider yeah. that? Yeah. You wouldn't put like maybe more like a Mitch Hedberg over a Tell. I mean, a Tell, I think, is almost more mainstream. He has a show on Comedy Central. I don't know oh, if, okay. how many people really get Mitch Hedberg. I love the Hedberg. was great. Yeah. You got to realize Bill the Hicks was one I love. Oh, Bill Hicks what? was amazing. But you got to yeah. realize the genius of Mitch Hedberg is that he was just do one liners for two hours. Yeah. And each one was just greater than the next one. So hard to write that way. Oh, and, my God. And you know what's fascinating? There are some guys in the world that if they do one-liners, 
people call them hacky comics. But he got away with doing stuff that a lot of people would have been called hack for. Would you say Stephen Wright is a hack? Huh? Would you say Stephen Wright is a hack? No, he's got his own kind of weird style, but it basically was one line. If he was great, yeah, yeah, he was I great. Guess so, yeah. Now, remember a guy named Mark Cohen? You probably remember him, Robert. Yeah. Like Mark did a lot of like kind of weird one-liners, but people didn't see him as a hacky guy. He went on to success. He did. I probably probably did Caroline's Comedy Hour, and I know yes, he did. Be a prop. So he did he a lot of those What's that? And then he wrote walking up that out. Sean is shaking because I just made a very hacky joke. <laughs> Not the first time, Jeff. Not the first time. <laughs> you know, I set myself up for that. Oh, my God. Al, who's your band? Uh, me, I like, listen, I, I go all over the place. I can go from the Beatles and the Rolling Stones uh, to Alabama, you know? I, you know, so... I like a lot of different uh, eagles, you know, but it's it seems when I mention the bands I like, I probably stopped liking bands in like the eighties or something. Al, <laughs> true or not, did you or did you not go see Donny Osmond at the St. George Theater? Yes, my <laughs> wife, my wife loves Donny Osmond, and sure, I your wife, we're happy. Allegedly, <laughs> yeah. Where is she in Canada? You know, come on. No, I was so I, happy. You know, when, I was so happy when Jeff told me that you liked Alabama. Love <laughs> Alabama. What a great I'll tell band! You a funny story. I, I, so it's very hard to get Alabama tickets anywhere on the East Coast. True. They hardly are ever here, and if they are, it's like in Schenectady or some like faraway place. So two years in a row, I've had tickets to see them on the East Coast. Me too. Red Bank got canceled last year, I think. And PNC Art Center. Right, right. Yep. So that one got canceled. And the year before, I think I was going to go all the way to Maryland to see them and just hook it up with a night at the casino and dinner and all that. And they canceled that one, too. So I've had this year I'm supposed to see them in October, I think, in the Poconos. So hopefully that'll happen. Mm. Hopefully I'm, I'm open for you, brother. I'm praying yeah. for you. My mom, is, my mom is a gigantic country fan, so that's where I got my country music love for uh, you know for that genre, and she was always into this band called the Statler Brothers. Oh sure. Oh well, yeah, I heard of Statler. The Statler Brothers, Brothers are a great band, great four part harmony, but again, yeah. they don't play in this area. So no, a million a million cool. years ago, uh, I was in a band as well. So my whole bandmates are going down to Asbury Park to see uh, a band called Black Label Society, which is uh, Zach Wilde, Ozzy Osbourne's guitar player. She says, can you please take me to see the Statler Brothers? I'm like, all right, where is it? She goes, Binghamton, New York. I'm like, okay, what, what time is the show? It's a five o'clock show because everybody in there is 117 years old, you know? Oh my God. I fly up to Binghamton, I go to the show, uh, my mom is, I'm the youngest person in the room. My mom's the second youngest person in the room. I'm talking like oxygen tanks, you know, wheelchairs. It was hard. The show was over by eight o'clock. I fly back from Binghamton, New York, all the way back to Bayonne, literally kick her out of the car and fly down to Asbury Park. And I caught the last half of uh, Black Label Society. 
That's wow, that's dedication. cool. That's dedication. Hey, Al, um, quick question. We, we were talking about like changes and stuff here. What's changed in the comedy world in the last 10 years? And do you mention it in your book? Is this a trick question? Like, do you know what the... the, the are you I want, saying I mentioned I it in the book? I want to hear your answer. Well, definitely social media is uh, a, a big change in, um, in stand-up comedy. And, you know, there was a time when, you know, uh, network executives and um, even to some extent club owners and bookers they had, uh, they were the gatekeepers. Uh, they decided whether you would get a TV show or, or whether you would get on an audition to be seen by TV executives. And what's changed, I think, in the last 10 years with, with multiple platforms being available to people to get their work out directly is the social media and, and the YouTube and the Amazon and the who and all that stuff, you know, if you're very talented and you have a big following of people, you know, you could circumvent some of these traditional uh, gatekeepers. If I, if I was a comedian, like, and I came to you and said, I had this following on Twitter, like I got a 50,000 people following me. I can fill up your club. I'm funny. Book me on, on the club, uh, audition me or book me. And has that ever happened to you? And the club yes. has been sold out? Yes. It's, wow. it's happened to me both sides of the coin. In other words, where people have these huge followings. Right. And, uh, you know, in the old days, uh, Robin, you probably remember this, when someone wanted to promote a show, they, I would ask them, what's your marketing plan? How are you going to fill right. the seats? And, oh, we're going to be out there in Times Square handing out flyers and doing this and doing that. Nowadays, it's, Oh, I got a big following on social media. Now that can go one of two ways. Right. Can, yeah. You know, we have been very lucky at times where the people fill the room, right. and you know, we have a great night of it, and, and it's successful. And then there have been other comedians that have these social uh, media followings that don't quite pan out. It's virtual um, world, you know. Right. Yeah. These are not really your friends, you know. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. And and so at the last second, we might have to switch them from the 180 seat room to the 80 seat room upstairs. Right. And then they don't, you know, they don't even fill that. So it, it, right. it could bomb. Yeah, it's, it's, hard, it's hard from the comics point of view, too, because like I know, you know, I work with Jeff a lot and, you know, I, I'm more of a road comic. I don't really work in the city too much. So I know I know my capabilities. I know what I can do. And it's a hard, it's hard for me to, to, uh, to get into a new market because just say like out in the Midwest, I know I would do great out in the Midwest and they'll say, what's your social media following out in the Midwest? So I can say, uh, I don't know, 40 people. So, and I always, I mean, because I'm a New York, a New Jersey comic. So it's hard on my end too. And then I wind up opening for somebody who just has a gigantic following. And sometimes it doesn't work out as great because I know what I can do. And these guys just have these amazing numbers because they can do funny videos or they can just do, you know, use stupid filters and, and make jokes. And it doesn't really translate back into doing comedy. Right. You're right. That's very true. I, I've opened for soap opera 
uh, stars who don't have the time where I was the opener and actually did more time than the headliner who was the soap opera. Because, you know, they've only been doing it for maybe not even a year or, or a little over a year. Uh, I mean, but, but they're, they're selling more tickets that, on their name than on mine. Well, yeah. a, a perfect example of that is if you were ever to book any of the Whack Packers on the Howard Stern show. Correct. Right? I mean, right. The, except for Shuli Agar, who can He's a real hold, comic. Yeah, he can hold his own as a comic. Most of these other people, you know, they'll put together three or four Whack Packers and then a Bob Levy who can actually do an hour, you know, right. and, 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 and carry the show. So, you know, you're right. And, and, and sometimes even those people, they do so many shows and they're, they're, you know, they'll do a Long Island club on Monday and they'll do a, a Queens club on Tuesday. Their, their thing gets so saturated, nobody cares to see them anyway. You know, right. except for Beetlejuice. He draws. He's funny. <laughs> now, speaking of Whack Packers, hey, uh, Robert, how did you get involved with directing Mike Boschetti's one-man show? Well, I, I knew Mike from Staten Island. Uh, I knew him from Caroline's because he was doing some spots at Caroline's. They would bring him in from time to time. And I said, there's something about this guy. He's a character out of this. He's just living in a, at the wrong time. Well, I mean, I knew him in like high Max Senate, like Charlie Chaplin, that whole era there, he missed the, the wrong era of, of living because he really would have been a lot more appreciated. So sure. I, I, saw, I, taught a, uh, I, I was training uh, in Soho, you know, during the Soprano days on the downtime. I would have a, uh, I did an acting class that I had about six or seven people in, and Mike was one of them. And uh, all I remember is that he didn't always like pay me, but I didn't really care. Just to have him there was just, uh, it was great to have him there, you know? It was just great to be around him, you know, just because he makes me laugh, you know? So anyway, he told me he had this thing about going into the military called Space Cookie. I said, really, let's, let's talk, why don't you do take that into class? Because he didn't want to do scenes, and you know, and he did like to do scenes, but that's personal, why don't you try doing that? And he, and he started writing it. I said, this would be a great one-man show. Maybe 10, 11, 12 years later, we still kept in touch. He lives right around the corner from me. Um, and I said, you know, Mike, Mike maybe, we should, maybe we should revisit that and try to make it a one-man show. Cause, so why don't you develop it and, and write it? And he just kept on coming every week with more and more stuff. And, and, um, and then the, 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 the final hour came, well, what do we do with it? And I said, well, what are we going to do with it? And I really can't afford to produce it, you know at a regular theater off-Broadway off theater, and you're not equity, so we wouldn't have a problem. But I said, well, we'll do it. Let's see if we can get it in a chance to put it somewhere. And I think, uh, I don't know, Al would have to explain that. And, and he talked to Al, and, and Al was kind enough to have us at, at, at the uh, Broadway in the small room so we can basically develop it and we didn't get a big crowds or anything like that. It was, it was kind of difficult to do that. I guess it just didn't, didn't happen. And then finally, I got a, a friend of mine, the 13th Street Theater, that old place um, down um, on 13th Street and 6th Avenue. It, it was once the John Casals Theater. There was a summer that they, weren't, they were producing some plays, and I submitted it to them. They said, well, you know, you can do it here for free. All you got to do is pay for the technical stuff. And and pay for the uh, stage manager. And I said, great. And we did it there. Again, we had a problem bringing people in because it was the end of the summer. 
it was like that time when no one wants to go anywhere. But it was a great experience working with Mike. And I think the play really is a very, and only, he's the only guy in the world that could do it. It's four weeks in boot camp and he gets kicked out. And it's, <laughs> it's only Mike Buschetti can happen to Mike Buschetti, you know? I wrote him a Thank joke. You, Al. Thank you, Al, for that. I, I wrote him a joke once. I wrote him a lot of jokes, but I wrote him one joke. I go, uh, when I was in the military, they gave me a 21-gun salute pointed at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that's important that I just mention Al because – you know, if something is done, someone has to do it. You know, I, I worked with uh, Wynn Hammond, God rest his soul, from the American Place Theater on 46th Street. That great theater was the first subscription theater. And he housed a lot of great writers. And Al, I just want to thank you here and now for, for providing a place for, for, to try to, you know, to giving people who don't have a lot of funds to, to develop. I mean, it could have went a lot of different ways, Al. Sure. It could have been that audience and said, geez, I want to produce this on, on Broadway, but it didn't. But it's important that there are people like you who are, who are generous enough to say, hey, I like you. Take the club. And you did. I'm, Thank you. I'm not kidding you. I once walked into someone's play uh, at that same space, a matinee performance. I walked in there and I almost fell down because who was in the audience? Francis Ford Coppola, you know? Wow, so, wow really? You, yeah, wow. You, just, you just never know who's going to be sitting in. You know, yes. sometimes it, he might have been there for any particular, he might have known somebody in the cast, but we've had some real interesting people through the years in the audiences at the clubs. Uh, Andre Agassi. Um, right. uh, we've had... Um, uh, uh, Louise Lasser from Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Oh my God, she was, yeah. That, that, that's your go-to, Louise Lasser? You had Beyonce in the club. <laughs> no, no, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We, oh yeah, listen, we've had, uh, yeah, that's true. Beyonce, uh, Jay-Z, Rue McClanahan. No, but you um, went with Louise Lasser. I don't get you. I'm a comedian. You're a comedian. You're supposed to lead with your strongest shit. <laughs> Guys, write this down. It's 4.40 on Thursday. This is episode 15. Jeff made his first funny. Oh! <laughs> this is what I got to deal with. You, don't, you guys don't have to put up with them for 15 weeks like I have to. <laughs> Robert, I heard a rumor about you, man. Um, you're, you're into cooking. You're a cook. You're a chef. Is that true? Well. I, I like to cook, but I, I wouldn't call myself a chef. I'm a, uh, my own chef, you know. I take care of my mom, and I, you know, and uh, I do love to cook. I and the COVID crisis has has heightened my imagination. I've come up with a lot of different right. things, and I put them on my Instagram page, and a lot of people have been commenting well, that looks delicious. And usually, if it looks delicious, it is delicious. You know what I mean? That that seems to be the the thing, you know. So I've been doing it. I've been posting the the. Stuff, mom's gravy, shrimp oregano, flounder oregano, squash and rigatoni, all these different dishes. And sometimes I just wake up and say, I don't know what I'm going to cook, and I get an idea. Are you doing uh, this on as an Instagram show? Huh? Are you doing this as an Instagram show? Well, you know, someone had contacted me from, um, you know, somebody at Simon and Schuster, and they said, Why don't you do a cookbook and, a cookbook and, and you do like the soprano thing, and they can, you know, you can talk about the sopranos. The thing is, they told me that the whole 
book industry has changed that they want you to basically make an investment to buy a certain amount of books and they buy a certain amount of books and like so you got to put like $10,000 down and so I think that the, uh, the publishing people are like they've kind of like got it all figured out the metrics and, and everything and to me it's like well that's like you know I'd rather not put the money down for something like that but someone did approach me for a website to do a uh, like a zoomathon um with my cooking is just got to buy the tripod I, i'm thinking i'm thinking about it you know i think it might be a fun thing to do i mean because it's like cooking is like it's passed down like i wish i had some of my great my grandmother's recipes that that have been lost and i have some of them that are that are uh, unique in there still but it's like someone giving you um, uh, a, a, a branch so someone gave me a branch of a fig tree from calabria like uh, three year, three or four years ago, and it grew, and now it's growing figs, and and it's thought, and, and it's like that's a legacy that's passed on. It's funny. It just it just strikes me as something that's beautiful. You know what I mean? That lasts forever. It's universal. It goes through, t marches through time. Those recipes, mm -hmm. and it makes people happy. You know, and food makes people, let's face it, happy. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Um... Debbie Mazar and Catherine Naducci and one and a, and a past guest on this show, uh, Joe Gandasoli, uh, are doing these cooking shows like on um, on the web. Yeah, Joe, Joe, I think he does. Um, he does private session. Like he'll come, you know, he hires himself out, like for like you know, uh, he markets himself like to come to your place and to cook for cook for you and talk about Sopranos. It's a really good idea. You have a personal experience with him. You can talk about Sopranos, and he'll cook something for you. And cook. He's a really a, he's a real master chef. I'm just a local, you know, kind of homemade kind of a, a chef. But you know, he's um, in terms of Narducci. I don't think she. I don't know about anything about her cooking. She must be. She might be very good, but she's doing really well. You know, she's getting a lot of parts. So, Irishman was really great for her. You know. Absolutely. I had a little crush on her. You always say that. Yeah, yeah, Kathy's got to go. You know, she's a pretty lady. You know, she's a pretty lady, and she's a good person too. You know, had a little question on Joe Ganascoli too, but that's another story and stuff. Uh, you may not want to go there. I'll tell you a story about that. Well, Joey, with that character, I mean, oh know, yeah, he kind of was reading Murder Incorporated, one of those mafia books, and he pointed at lunch to me, saying, "You know, they Rob, I can't believe this. You know, there was a like gay gangster." I said, "Really, Joe? And yeah, there's that gay gangster like in." In these books, and it was guy. It was an actual guy that was gay, and I said, you know, maybe I'm like, uh, I'm gonna talk to Robin, and and I said, all right, yeah. I said maybe my character. I said whatever, you know. He he actually, I was around when he asked them, and, and he proposed it. You know, I wasn't there exactly when he pitched it, and they liked the they liked the concept, and they and they um, they 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 uh, Robin and Mitch Burgess they they expounded on it, and. Uh, the rest is history. <laughs> you know the one the one thing I thought was a, a a brilliant thing about the Sopranos, but I think was also a downfall for a lot of people, is that it was so popular. It was such an amazing show. It, it's such a part of pop culture history that right. I always wondered if it was hard for the actors to get other roles because of being typecast as that role. Yeah, it's true. If you look at if you look at if you look at the the um, the IMDb of a lot of the actors, they're either working in one 
thing, one genre, which is the mafia genre. For James yeah. Gandhi, for Jane, for Jimmy, he did Caveman on Broadway. He expanded out, you know, and he also put down, he had a dialogue coach, which he did, you know, in, in, on Soprano yeah. in the credits. If you look carefully, it says dialogue coach for James Gandolfini. And he did a, a dialogue coach because he wanted to be expand, and he did. He, he played mayor in, in uh, Pelham 123, and he played a lot of different roles. But that's it was a really a big challenge. I've been lucky enough to, uh, be able to kind of, um, I mean, I did Ray Donovan. My last name was not, uh, didn't end in a vowel, you know. So, you know, I mean, I've been lucky on Sinner too, although they changed my name to an Italian name. But I've been lucky in that, in that respect that I've been able to break free, just not playing mafia guys, you know what I mean, and wise guys. But it's a very, it's not easy. I mean, it's just, it's never been easy for people like George Raft and, and, and for Bogart and, until they became successful, were they able to branch out and do things on their on their that they really were passionate about? You know, for us other actors, we take what we get. You know what I mean, and we hope for the best. Robert, yeah. do you remember this on The Sopranos? Um, do they remember there was a, a little like storyline when they were kind of giving Junior shit because he was going down on his girlfriend? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I yes, that. I remember that. Yes, yeah. It was one of those weird. That's one of those weird mafia um, yeah. like, like things that you just don't do. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody Never from Boca. She was from Boca. There is Boca, it? and Boca means mouth. <laughs> that, that's I right. Mean, listen, the writing on that, that's why I consider it the greatest uh, uh, show ever made, because it was so deep and there were so many layers. Robert, what was it like working with that cast? And did you ever get a chance to meet David Chase? Oh, you kidding me? I mean, three years on the show. Yes. I mean, David was around all the time. Talked to, talked to him about, oh, he's kind of like a, David's a, it's a great guy, great personality, but he's like a little, like a gnome, you know, he just would appear in different places. And, and um, he was one of the most, very eccentric in a way, but very down to earth too. Um, and very, uh, uh, like one of those minds that he's always, you could be talking to him, but he's thinking, you know he's thinking of 12,000 different things when you're talking to him. But yeah, David was a, he's a great guy. And I got a chance to work with him in, 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 in the film that he did that wasn't such a success, um, you know, with uh, Lisa Lampanelli. She played my, she played my wife, hmm. you know? You, know, you mentioned, you mentioned being on, uh, on I Ray forgot the name of the, I forgot the name of the film. <laughs> Robert, I got an idea for a show that you could direct. Okay. 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 It's called Driving with Al Martin. Okay. And <laughs> Al Martin the whole time. And the second you hit 30 seconds of traffic, okay, for, for construction or because of a pothole, just, just leave the camera on him and let Al do his thing. And I think you got a winner there. That might be yeah. a new show for me. Yes. <laughs> Because Al also lived in Staten Island, and when I would go into the city, Al and I would drive into the city together, and we would sit in traffic on the West Side Highway, and he just start flipping out, and it was great. I always felt you know, we should have had like one of those GoPros uh, on him the whole time. <laughs> great. <laughs> He'd sit there and point out the errors of of uh, Mayor De Blasio's ways of offering the. Yeah, I hated De Blasio back then. <laughs> Oh my God! Let's what's ne Al? What's next for the? Com I'm just curious. What's next for the comedy clubs? What do you think, what? Al? Well, I hope it's not Zoom shows. That's for sure. But oh. uh, I agree with you. You know, they're, they're hard. You know, for for this kind of forum, it's great. For business conferences, it's great. You know, yeah. uh, meetings. 
but it, I don't see stand. It's this is a band aid for stand up comedy. It's just not yeah. no audience feedback. It's very difficult. Doing what uh, I I think we're in a holding pattern till those clubs open up again, really. And and you know the the problem is with the aforementioned uh, mayor. We don't know when he has plans to do anything. You know, yeah. it looks like the comedy clubs in Manhattan, at least will be open if there are no anything that puts us backwards they're right. scheduled sometime around early august but if there's a you know a setback then we're, we're i've done my planning for september and if we open before that great if not you know and and then right. the next question becomes at what capacity will they allow us to open 25 percent, 50 percent, but you know, in any event, I talked to a guy operating a, a club down here in Florida where I've been wintering, uh, and um, he opened up uh, last weekend, and he said the crowds were really light. He just doesn't know what he's going to do, mm. you know? So here's a, an area where now Florida has really been opening up. They're sort of in what I guess you would call phase two, and... Um, you know, I, I've been going to restaurants that have had no problem socially distancing, mainly because the crowds haven't been that big. I mean, you, you know, you might be sitting there with six or eight people in some restaurants. And right. Yeah. Well, I people mean, have I, to feel people got to feel comfortable yeah. going. That's the thing. They've got to feel comfortable, you know, when they're there for themselves. I mean, you know, that's just yeah. the way it's good. I mean, it's not a question of you know, anyone do anything wrong. It's the patron that's got to say, okay, I might have some parents at home or I don't want to, you know, I have children. And I, I, right. you know, I so, so that's a thing. That's a big, it's a hurdle, but I think in, in time, hopefully we can. Yeah. I think go. the advantage to us opening in phase four is that we'll have gone through three phases already where people right. are going to start stepping out and going right. out publicly, maybe sitting in a restaurant and, and by phase four, they might be, oh, I'm ready for a laugh. I'm kind of hoping that, you know. But yeah, you know something, it, uh, next week, aside from New York City, just about every place else is going to start phase two in New York uh, State. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is, like, uh, Robert, you would probably remember this from uh, your Caroline's days. In the old days, you used to promote, oh, we got – Great headliners this weekend, Colin Quinn, Dave Attell, right. Artie Lang. Now you're going to be promoting. We do temperature checks at the front door. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. 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 We have Purell stations every 20 feet. You know, yeah. our, our service people will be in masks and gloves, despite, you know, digital, digital menus. You know, I mean, it's right. crazy. It is it's crazy. a different world. I'm I'm dealing with yes. a club out in uh, Ohio that was bringing me in to, to headline for the first time. And I had a week booked and uh, obviously everything gets canceled because of all this. So I reached out to the guy and he goes, look, I'm not bringing anybody except in-state people for the moment because he's doing 25% capacity and even has like a plexiglass spit guard across the whole top of the stage. Wow. Because I mean, like, I'm, I'm one of those in your face kind of guys, and I get very sweaty. And, you know, I'm a mess when I'm on stage, but big sweat guards and, and like, like, like a friggin' buffet in are front hotels, of you. Are hotels even open? Like, you're going out to a uh, and I know the club that you're talking about. Yeah, but that would be a, that would be a comedy condo. 
if I was staying there. But <laughs> oh. you don't want to stay at that condo. You want the hotel. Yeah, how I mean that's kind of one of the, that's one of the normal positions are hard. <laughs> I know. I mean, listen, nobody wants to stay at a comedy condo to begin with. In a, in a normal situation, you want to go into a strange one. Going, you know, with, we're going through now. So, so now I got to wait till probably the end of the year until he figures out if they're going to go. And they're a little bit of the head of New York and New Jersey too, as far as the reopening process. Right. So, that that that's what scares me when I'm watching. You know, by the time we reopen, we will have been closed five or six months, which is unbelievable when you think about it. Yes. And, and then when you open, we have no idea what we're opening to. And that's that's more scary than having you can plan for the five or six months some way or another. Either you negotiate with your landlords, you 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 line up your financing. But the worrisome part to me is what are we opening up to? You know, mm. a lot of people are deserting the city now. Uh, I right. call them the, the, the people that came in here from Wisconsin and Minnesota and all uh -huh. those places and jacked up the prices in Park Slope and Williamsburg and Bushwick. They're the first ones getting the hell out of the city. Absolutely. So they're leaving. And the people you, you know, have left are the ones that, you know, are hardcore New Yorkers. And, you know, um, but some of the people are leaving. They have nothing. What What's New York becoming? You know, you don't have Broadway theaters. You don't have... Radio City Music Hall for the families and the older people. And then all the bars and the clubs for the younger people, the vibrant nightlife is just, you know, can't happen with COVID. So, look, it's going to be, know. I think that, that it's going to be uncomfortable for a while and it's not going to be good. And a lot of people, there's going to be a lot of setbacks. And it's just the way it's going to be like, you know, with the rationing and World War II and, 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 and the food and the food tickets. And some people will profit off it. Other people won't. But for people in the entertainment field, it's going to be a bit of a struggle, I feel. But I think that and let's face it, COVID can be I think it's a it's a virus that can be uh, we can maybe control it maybe by treating it or, or perhaps the vaccine. If it worked, now a vaccine in, like by January, this is what I'm hoping and praying for, some sort of vaccine or treatment by January, and then everything, bam, we're right back, you know, we're right back in, in well, the game. And I think well, I that, think we have a better I shot think it can happen. I think it can happen. But it's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw this because of everything that's been going on uh, this past week, but you know the vaccine is now in the second stage of development, which is... Amazing. So there's actually optimism that before 2021, that a vaccine can become available. And I think that becomes a game changer. Yes, absolutely. And then, but up until then, it's going to be tough. Now, I think film and TV, I think we can figure out film and TV and Netflix got the right idea and, and, and the producers of HBO and they're producing their own stuff and, and TNT. And I think that we can find a way to and anyway, directors, they stay in, in a station by themselves looking at the monitor. There's a way to, and they're working on it now, SAG's working on it now, ways to film without having all that, being, being careful and social distancing and being, and tested, like Al was talking about before you come in. So I think theater, and I mean, not theater, but film and TV, we'll get back sooner. Uh, it'll be a little bit different. And but then, of course- But you start filming again. 
Um, I think it could be. I think it could be at the end of August. I think. It, I think with the right planning, they're they're working they're they're working it out already. You know, maybe perhaps the uh, some scenes have to be kind of like with the extras and everything. That has to be really planned. People have to be tested. You know what I mean? There's going to have to be a way of testing on the set, but also before you come on, you got to test. I mean, but if they can get the, the 15 minute test going and stuff like that then people could be comfortable, you know, acting in that situation, you know what I'm saying? So I think it'll come back first. I'm hoping it'll come back in all, late August, early September, maybe a little sooner, I'm not sure, but I know they're working on it. The president of SEG, Gabriel Cataris, is talking about that they're, you know, that the wheels are in motion in order to do it. I think it can be done, but it's at, at the same respect, it's the same thing as theater. You gotta be around people. It's, we, we need that, that treatment or that vaccine to really make us comfortable. You know, what do you got coming up, uh, Robert? Well, I did a I did a pilot with Michael Madsen and Danny Baldwin in, in Canada called uh, For Nothing, and hopefully, it gets picked up. Um, that was interesting. Uh, you know, it was a uh, calls in Austria again, <laughs> but I played a crime boss in, in it, and uh, I had a I had a fun time working with Madsen, and we had some good times. We actually lost a cast member to COVID, which was sad. You know, um, that the uh, cooking show. <laughs> Let's see about that. <laughs> got to think of other ways to. You know, you might guy... have to retool the cooking show. <laughs> I'll tell you why. If you've ever, I've I've been on at many a Chinese buffet with Mike Buschetti on Highland Boulevard, <laughs> <laughs> where I've had to put my hand over my food because <laughs> Mike has a little. You know what I'm talking about. Yes, <laughs> I know. He has a tendency to spit when he eats. <laughs> yes. Yes. Why would you go to a buffet with Mike Pichetti? Just to watch him. Have fun. It's hysterical. Have fun. It's a comedy scene in itself. Yes, it's so much fun. Mike's a great comedian. I know, but when you go out to eat with Mike Pichetti, make sure you're wearing gloves, okay? I'm talking about <laughs> hockey gloves. A hazmat suit. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what I got. You, man, how can people get the book? Uh, Amazon uh, Books. Uh, just type in Al Martin if you can't remember the long title. It's uh, Did It on a Dare, How I Built a Comedy Empire in 30 Short Years. It's available on iTunes. It's available on audiobooks, uh, Kindle, and paperback. Right and, hopefully the book, and if you buy it now, we are going to be doing a signing at the Friars Club in the fall. And I'll be morning a fryer. There you go. And then we'll be doing a, a book signing at Broadway Comedy Club, Greenwich. So we'll be getting around and uh, doing book signings as well. You know, I, was, I was really hoping there was there was supposed to be a great roast coming up in June at the Friars Club. Yeah, I don't think that one's going to happen. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. And let me just tell you something. I was salivating. I was <laughs> Al Sharpton. Oh, I was salivating for this, and I don't you, think it's going to happen anymore. He just you was on the time uh, for a quick Al Sharpton story, or you're wrapping it up? Sure. Okay. So one day I'm watching the news, and Al Sharpton is leading a protest upstate New York for some business, whatever it was. And, you know, basically, I got the inside scoop on his protest. Basically, he rents a couple of buses, fills them like with 24 you know, 50 people on each bus, pays them like 25, 30 bucks a head to protest for the day. People that got nothing to do, mostly older people, 
and he gives them lunch, like a sandwich and a banana or some shit like that. A fruit. <laughs> I don't mean banana, banana in a bad way. Stop talking. Not talking. <laughs> oh my god! Well, yeah, because nowadays you don't know everything you say. It's like a grenade. But anyway, so he he um, does this whole protest. I'm watching the news. It's on all the news. You know, carrying on. That night, I go to a cigar club called the Macanudo Club in Manhattan. You love that place. You yeah. love that place. Yeah, me and Kevin Dabrowski go. Yeah, I had dinner there, was smoking a cigar. Three tables over, there's Al Sharpton with five white business executives smoking cigars and, and drinking high-end <laughs> liquor. Unbelievable. So, yeah, during the day, social justice warrior at night hanging with the white guys. <laughs> he was and just at the Floyd smoke. funeral. He was just at the <laughs> Floyd funeral. The uh, the memorial. Yeah, he he spoke at the memorial. He closed the he closed the event. You know, he closed the funeral. You know. Yeah. I think on that note, gentlemen, we want to thank you so much for for thank coming. You. Thank you very much. Thank you, brother. That was a thank quick you. hour, you. and you guys were tremendous. Uh, Robert, I hope everything's good. Uh, how's your mom doing? She's doing okay. She comes out of the hospital tomorrow. They've been delaying it because of our oxygen level, and you know. What hospital? She's at Wheel Cornell in New York. I love that place. I mean, if you get a love a hospital, I like that place. You know, it's a good place. And not Staten Island Hospital. <laughs> no, you don't want him in Staten Island Hospital. No, but, no, uh, we wish, no. We wish you and your mom the best, ma'am. Thank you, really? man. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you for the opportunity to be on. It was a pleasure with Al, yourself, Sean, and, and it's great, thank man. You. Thank you, man. Yeah. Yeah. Al, thank you also, man. Good luck thank with you. the book. Yeah, thank I'm going to check it out, Al. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Much appreciated. Sure, listen, when, York, when 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 the clubs open up, I just want to show you something, Al. Uh, there's my avails. <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep scrolling, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> keep it's scrolling. Ugly. It's very keep ugly. Keep scrolling. Yeah. Keep scrolling. <laughs> well, guys, Good thank one. you so much for being on the Take show. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye -bye. See you next week. Ciao. Bye.